1: From Fool Global Headquarters, this is Motley Fool Money. Welcome to Motley Fool Money. Thanks for being here. I'm your host, Chris Hill. Joining me in studio this week, from Motley Fool One, Jason Moser, from Motley Fool Income Investor, James Early, and from Motley Fool Asset Management, Tim Hansen. Good to see you guys. Good to see you, Chris. Hey there. Always good uh, to see we you. We have got some big deals this week in the consumer goods industry, the entertainment industry. We will break those down. We'll dig into some more earnings news. And as always, we've got a few stocks on our radar. But let's start with maybe the biggest deal of the week. Berkshire Hathaway and 3G Capital are buying Heinz for $23 billion in cash. Shares of Heinz were at an all-time high, James, and Warren Buffett felt compelled to pay a 19% premium on that. So my first question is, did he pay too much? Uh, well, it depends, Chris. I mean, I'm, I'm happy as an income investor uh, advisor because I
2: recommended Heinz, and now it's up 20%. And we finally got a chance <laughs> to see what warren buffett's elephant gun looks like which is pretty cool too but this deal to me smacks more of okayness than than genius uh the fuzz factor to answer your question is going to be how much fat these 3g guys can trim uh who are going to come in and manage this company can trim from this business uh heinz has been cutting costs for many years so i i don't know how how effective that's going to be i don't think it'll be a disaster i just don't see it being a huge success either what about you, Tim?
3: Well, this is another one of those deals that only Buffett could get. I mean, the way it's being financed is he's getting some preferred shares that are going to pay, I think, a nine percent dividend, which is, you know, in an era of that's nice zero interest yeah, rate, that's right? Not too bad. I mean, that's that's a way to put a lot of money to work at a at a market probably a market beating rate. Um, so I think it, I think it probably works out well for him. Um, he's got some equity to share in the upside if 3G can cut costs like they did at, at Anheuser Busch. Um, but but it does I mean it does look at first blush to be a little bit expensive, especially because you know I think Heinz is on the wrong side of where the food trends in this country and, and and to some extent globally are going, which is more fresh you know type foods and they're they're heavy into the canned and prepackaged and pasteurized type. You're
1: things. saying tater tots are not fresh. I, I mean, it's <laughs> debatable. Just, I mean, it's, They're delicious. I,
3: I don't know, are they?
1: Sure. Who doesn't love tater tots? I'm not a big tater tot fan. I, I mean, there's probably
3: going to be some mail that comes in about this, but, you know, I think tater tots are overrated.
2: I was in Quebec, and I, I was I, my, my son had just turned one. I needed baby food, and I bought all this Heinz baby food, and, and he wasn't eating it. And I realized like
1: tomato paste was like the number one ingredient in <laughs> every single thing. Uh, James, when you look at Berkshire Hathaway stock, it is trading at an all time high, even after this deal, which tells me that you know some people think well you know what it's buffett and and we're going to trust him uh, what do you think of the the shares
2: buffett is always going to get the benefit of the doubt i mean you know my concern uh, i think is legitimate he's not going to live forever and and, and what's going to happen i mean it's just uh i, I wouldn't be a buyer now just for that reason
1: Comcast, uh, as of the beginning of the week, owned 51% of NBC Universal, and apparently, Jason, they liked it so much, they decided to buy the remaining 49% from GE for the tidy sum of $16.7 billion, and uh, similar to what I just said about Berkshire. I think people think this is a great deal because both stocks were at multi-year highs in the wake of this deal
0: yeah I think on the surface of it it's a good deal for Comcast I mean in this age of cheap money it's not like it was a surprise they were going to do this they just kind of sped up the timeline but it gives them you know it makes them a little bit more vertical gives them a little bit more control over content in an age where content costs are going up uh, but they still also benefit from the from the cable and the network side with uh, generating higher affiliate fees I think not to get lost in this is is the benefit for GE because ultimately they're going to get out of a business that I don't think they really had any business being in to begin with. And uh, you look at the stock over the past five years, and GE has woefully underperformed the market, and this is going to give them a chance. I mean, their their focus is their intention to to return $18 billion this this coming year to shareholders in the form of, of buybacks and dividends. So, you know, if you're a shareholder of GE the last five years,
1: this has got to at least be encouraging news. Wo- woefully is always a good word to work in. It is. It's really bad. <laughs> um, well, and to that point, uh, Jeff Immelt, the CEO over at GE, uh, really seems to be uh, executing on this plan of focusing the company a little bit more and really getting away from the days where. GE Capital was the main driving force for that company. Yeah,
0: and it it makes you kind of think of that Peter Lynchian term, diversification, right? I mean, when companies just start going so far out of their circle of competence that it really just makes the collective business worse, and I think that GE had probably gotten to that point, so hopefully this will get them a little bit more focused.
2: GE Capital is more of an accident, right? I mean, people just couldn't afford refrigerators a long time ago, (laughs) so it just started financing those appliance
1: purchases, and it just grew and grew and grew. It's kind of interesting. The proverbial happy accident. Uh, (laughs) Tim, we also saw a bunch of other content deals. I mean, this was the biggest this week, but we saw Stars and Sony Pictures, Amazon uh, working out a deal with DreamWorks Animation, Amazon and CBS. They they all sort of came in this flurry, and it just seems like this, uh, the battle for the living room that we talk about from time to time, is just getting more and more amped up as everyone is looking for a dance partner when it comes to content.
3: I think that's true, and I think you know, it raises two two questions uh, to think about going forward. The first is, you know, why aren't these people who are creating, the why are they so eager to license when, in fact, they could probably be thinking about distribution on their own, and that might be more profitable for them, you know? Instead of yielding to Apple, for example, your entire song catalog and let them make money on the hardware and the software and the network effects and the ecosystem right. competitive advantage, you know, why not do something like that on your own? I think that's one good question that these content companies should be asking themselves. You know, and the second is, when, when does Google and Apple and these companies, when do they start coming after sports? You know, right now, ESPN is notoriously, you know, a Disney unit, you know, owns the rights to most major sports broadcasts and they pay a lot for it. Um, But if, you know, Apple has a TV in the works and they want to bid for the Super Bowl, that could get really interesting because they have a lot of money. And uh, uh, that would be a really powerful form of content that has not yet gone into play. Um, in this right. in this
0: area, yeah, I think Tim, uh, Tim keys on on something very important. There was sports, and you know, Comcast did just sign a deal with Fox, sort of it's in in that TV everywhere strategy, and soccer was included there. So I think at least that's a small step toward that direction. So uh, I wouldn't be surprised to see maybe a little bit more of a focus there going forward because that really is what I mean. Cutting the cord is is a great headline and all, but. Most people aren't cutting the cord because sports is such a such a, uh, a tether
1: there. But net networks are not as necessary as they used to be, which I think is Tim's point. I mean, yeah, absolutely. Interesting. Uh, Jason, what do you think of Comcast, the stock? Because <laughs> this is a company that, as often as not, shows up in the news for you know being one of those big companies that does not have great reputations with customers. And yet now, it seems like just from a business standpoint, they're really uh, – they're really kicking a lot of ass. Yeah, I mean the, the the business performs very well. I mean historically, it's done very well.
0: Uh, going forward, it's a little bit more questionable though, because the 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 landscape is changing so quickly with digital distribution and streaming, and, and your other concepts out there like Netflix, and who knows what Apple's going to be doing here or Google to a degree. So I think going forward, it's a little bit uh, a little bit less clear. But for sure, the company to this point, it generates a lot of cash and and really has a lot of hold over their subscribers.
3: I do think you need to be. Cap- Careful as a long-term investor in buying shares of companies that whose customers w- would probably think life is better off without them, you know. Right. And this refers to like the Verizons of the world, the Comcast. I mean, I'm a Comcast customer out of necessity. If I could do a la carte cable, or if you know sports were available via the app store, you know, I, I would unsubscribe from Comcast very, very quickly. And so, I think that's always a specter hanging over the stock.
1: U.S. Airways and AMR, the parent company of American Airlines, have agreed to an $11 billion merger that will result in the largest airline in the world. And, Tim, uh, contrary to the previous deals, uh, it seems like people weren't psyched about this. Shares of U.S. Air uh, were down. um, So, apparently, bigger is not better. Well, these are also, I think,
3: generally regarded as being two of the weaker airlines in the in the U.S. market, and that's particularly true of American with their labor troubles. And they, I mean, they've right. had big problems. And being a weaker part of an airline industry in the U.S., I mean, that's that's saying something, right? <laughs> <laughs> that's a low bar. Um, you know, airlines are famously horrible investments, especially in the United States. You know, the joke is how do you become an airline millionaire? <laughs> you start with a billion dollars and buy an airline. Yeah. Um, you know, but the industry is rationalizing. I think we're now down to three hub-and-spoke carriers after United and Continental merged, and now you've got the American and U.S. Airlines merger. People are still traveling a lot. At some point, these companies, they have to start making money, right, Chris? (laughs) Am I wrong about that?
1: I don't know. It uh, it does seem like one of the Potential ripple effects is maybe a benefit for JetBlue and Southwest and the smaller ones because because of the size of this airline, they're going to have to. The regulators are probably going to force them to give up. Yeah, some service I mean, space.
3: you probably do get some more gates if you're if you're looking for them. If you're Southwest, for example, um, you know. But like I said, travel travel has been a constant. You know, even during the recession, people kept traveling, and and obviously they traded down a little bit on cost. Um, you know but people like to travel and it's a much more it's going to be a much more rational industry going forward over the next 10 years it looks like than it was over the past 10.
1: American Express announced a partnership with Twitter that would allow cardholders to buy things simply by typing a hashtag on Twitter and Jason you're Shareholder, uh, you're a cardholder of yeah. American Express. You've yeah, no, already tried this. I
0: did try. Yeah. Well, I've tried it in two capacities. The first was uh, six months ago or so when they initially were allowing you to just retweet something and actually benefit from a deal. So it was a coupon going to a restaurant. But yep. I didn't actually have to present a coupon. I just used my Amex, and then the uh, next day they deducted the twenty dollars off the card. Uh, this is this is you can actually purchase things if you just include the hashtag uh, and then the the verbiage of the deal there. And I tried it with their initial $25 gift card, and apparently they had just run out, so I kind of missed the boat on that one. But I've seen a lot of tweets go through my uh, Twitter feed today from Amex. They are pushing a lot of these Kindles and Sony PlayStation uh, devices. So, uh, yeah, I mean, I think that they are recognizing the fact that e-commerce and social networking go very well together, and it's just a matter of of how to make it work best. And, you know, honestly, this is something where I like a Twitter more than I like a Facebook, because I think Twitter has really more or less solved that mobile barrier already, because the the platform really just works with mobile, whereas Facebook is really trying to overcome that that mobile barrier still. And so I, I think it's potentially Facebook could probably be taking a few notes from this.
2: Let me just make sure I understand. So you get the deal... If you retweet the deal to a bunch of your friends,
3: but no, he didn't get the deal because they
2: well,
0: just run out now. It's,
2: it's two oh, That's the, okay. the car dealer model. Oh, the okay. deal is you
0: retweet. But <laughs> okay. if you want to buy something, this is the new one. Is the okay, I always you see. buy that's something. You okay. actually just you actually tweet the hashtag with the 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 deal after the hashtag, and then but you, you still actually, have to spam your friends. Basically, uh, I guess that's it's kind of like
2: impairing the friendship to a minor degree for for money though. They're potentially do, that's yeah.
0: assuming that the people following you on our Twitter are actually your friends. Good point, <laughs> Tim. You seem skeptical
1: of this whole this whole scenario. Uh,
3: you know, it is what it is. I think I think companies will be rewarded for uh, experimenting with these media because there are lots of people using them. I don't think anyone has figured out how to effectively um, market to them. As James said, there's a really fine line between. You know intrusion into the life of a customer and their friends, and Facebook I think is managing this really poorly because unlike Twitter, where your follows ostens- your followers ostensibly are not necessarily all your friends, uh, on Facebook by definition, right, they are <laughs> yeah, they're supposed to. And be. So that that's a little bit. I mean, that it, it's. I mean, you're turning into a kind of a multi-level marketing scheme by pushing product on your friends, and those those you know generally don't work out too well. Um, but I'm sure it's a it's a very small marketing investment. So uh, you know it's hard to criticize a company. For for experimentation.
2: How would you feel about Jason if he tweeted you a deal? Like would that impair your friendship?
3: Yeah, yeah. I mean, <laughs> because if you think about it. If you th- if you think about uh, the, sort of the, the math equation of it, it's like Jason basically assumes that my time is worth nothing. <laughs> but, and, but but he and he's worthy. To, he, he would appreciate taking advantage of my time in order for his own personal, personal benefit. Game, but if yeah. I was
0: tweeting him a deal about basketball shoes or perhaps he, a beer that he likes. But you can't tweet it. Then at least tweet tweet it maybe on takes mass, on a right? personal dynamic. You have to tweet dynamic. the same deal to everybody. You can't target just a specific person. Well, oh, I, I imagine. Well, I yeah. think you would actually have to direct that tweet to that individual. Yeah, but you I, you can in theory do that. But I'm just saying, like, if it was a basketball shoe or a beer that I know he likes, otherwise I might not direct it his way.
1: This is probably a good time to mention you can follow us on Twitter at Motley Fool Money. Coming up, if a big asteroid is going to hit our planet, shouldn't we at least figure out how we can profit from it? Stay right here. You're listening to Motley Fool Money. Hey, it's Chris here. Is your business protected from data loss? If not, join the 80,000 businesses who trust Mosey to protect their important information. Mosey automatically backs up your critical files to world-class data centers with maximum security. It's easy to use and costs up to 80% less than other solutions. Learn more at Mosey.com. That's M-O-Z-Y dot com. Mosey, it's always there. Welcome back to Not-Bestful Money Full Money. we Chris here in studio with Jason Moser, James Early, and Tim Hansen. Uh, let's hit the beverage companies, James. Coca-Cola's fourth quarter profit's up 13%. Pepsi's fourth quarter profit's up 17%. And uh, for a number of reasons, it looks like Pepsi's doing a little bit better lately. Yeah,
2: they are doing better. Pepsi had been focusing on healthy stuff for many years, Chris, until it realized that people actually don't want healthy stuff. They yeah, want that's junk. A mistake. <laughs> so it went back, it re-em- re-embraced its junk food r- roots, and, and just sort of went to the bad side. It kind of reminds me of when Hulk Hogan became a bad guy wrestler. Uh yeah, you know, Pepsi did did surprise uh, Wall Street five percent organic revenue growth, one uh, percent drop because of uh, foreign exchange, but profits were strong across the board, uh, sales gains, organic sales gains in all its categories. So it's it's doing very well. Coke missed expectations, uh, not quite as good. Weak in China, weak in Europe, uh, still having a decline in North American sodas. Uh, I think they're both both companies are, are solid long term investments, but they're both
1: priced a little bit richly right now. How big a threat is the whole obesity? discussion in the United States if when you look at these companies in terms of revenue most of their revenue is not coming from inside the United States uh,
2: that's that's True. Um, yeah, North American's soda volumes, even now, are, are still going down. We're drinking uh, less Coke and, and, and less Pepsi, uh, but it's still it's still a, a material chunk, and it's something that can spread worldwide. I mean, uh, other countries are trying to now cut back on cigarettes, for example, and they're going to start cutting back on, on the junk food that we're exporting. I mean, they're seeing cancer. They're seeing the same American diet-type diseases uh, that, that, that we've had that they didn't have, at the, at the rates they're having now.
3: I mean, but both companies have also sought to mitigate that by, by buying, up substitution products you know coca cola has honest teas for example right. and so to the extent that
1: coke consumption declines they've got something else in the works that they can start producing and distributing Moving to the healthier side, Whole Foods, first quarter profit rose 24%. Same-store sales were up more than 7%. And yet, uh, Tim, good numbers, but not good enough when you consider the stock fell 10% on Thursday. Well, I
3: think Whole Foods investors, and, and I'm a fan of Whole Foods as a company, I think it's a great grocery store. Um, having said that, Whole Foods investors need to look in the mirror and, and remind themselves that it's a grocery store. <laughs> you know. And, and you know, it put up 7% comps. It has best-in-industry profit margins. They're opening... You know, 35 new stores next year. By all measures, this company is operating fantastically. And the stock was down 10% and probably, arguably, has another 25 to 30% to go before it's valued like a great grocery store. I mean, I don't know what Whole Foods would need to do to justify its valuation. I mean, it would need to do something wild and crazy, but uh,
1: it's just a grocery store, people. So, so you're, you're waiting for more of a pullback.
3: Yeah, I mean, it's like, you know, people obviously put a premium on greatness, and so Whole Foods should trade for more than Walmart, Kroger, Harris Teeter, these types of companies. But, you're not ever going to get 10 to 12% operating margins at a grocery store. It's just the the business doesn't work that way.
1: Fourth quarter revenue for Buffalo Wild Wings rose by 38% and same store sales were up nearly 6%. Kind of an interesting week for the stock though, Jason, when you consider that, you know, on those numbers, again, good numbers but not great. Stock fell, but it looks like it's basically flat for the week.
0: Yeah, it was a good quarter and a good year, really. I mean, they passed the one billion dollar mark in sales for the first time uh, this year, and you know they continue to grow the concept. There, they're going to be opening up, opening up their 900th restaurant. I think next week they were saying. It's interesting to see that Sally Smith there sees a market for 1,700 of these stores. I, I'm not so sure. That's that's a realistic estimate. I feel like it's a little bit robust, but they are facing some genuine headwinds in chicken wing costs and and labor costs and even beer costs. And so really, you're seeing the, the restaurant level cash flow really getting crimped from those costs. And they're trying an interesting new little test out here in a number of restaurants where they're testing wings by the volume as opposed to quantity. You know, normally we'd go in there and you'd buy six wings or, or eight wings or whatever, but instead they're saying, well, chicken wings are, are bigger now. The chickens are bigger for whatever reason. So instead of six wings, you might get five because it weighs about the same. Now, I'm not sure how well that translates to the consumer. Uh, it'll be interesting to see sort of the results from this testing, but I think that's, that's, that's what they're facing right now. That's sort of the, the trepidation there on the stock. But I feel like at least you're buying into a, a good leadership story here with Sally Smith. She's been there since 1996, and she's, she's dealt with this kind of thing before.
1: Uh, we got about 30 seconds left. Uh, we dodged the bullet, and when I say we, I mean the planet Earth. The, uh, the, the asteroid that was hurtling towards us uh, missed us by about 17,000 miles. But it seems like we've got to come up with something to stop these in the future. If you're betting on a company. To come up with, you know, a device to basically knock these things out of the sky. I'm going
0: with Elon Musk and SpaceX. Put some lasers on those things. We solve this problem. Jason? Certainly there's got to be something out there that 3D printing can do. (laughs)
2: <laughs> Chris, I've been doing some research, and apparently shooting a nuclear missile is, will not work, scientists say, but they, they do recommend trying to paint the asteroid as quickly as possible because the absorption or refraction of the light might change the asteroid's trajectory by a few degrees, so I'll go with Berkshire Hathaway, which has been more paint. <laughs>
3: well, maybe they can partner with SpaceX and put paintbrushes instead of lasers on those spaceships.
1: Brilliant ideas, one and all. Guys, we'll see you later in the show. Coming up, the business of entertainment and Academy Award predictions with Nell Minow. Stay right here. This is Motley's Fool Money. Welcome back to Motley Fool Money. I'm Chris Hill. We've got company executives and boards of directors in the news, but we've also got the Academy Awards just days away. So of course there's only one person we can turn to. Nell Minow is a corporate governance expert with Governance Metrics International. She's also the film critic known as the Movie Mom. Always good to talk to you, Nell. Well,
3: I'm glad to be back.
1: Um, we'll get to the Academy Awards shortly, but uh, there, there are just a lot of soap operas going on in the business world, and I want to start with Apple, um, because recently we've seen David Einhorn, this hedge fund manager, come out and saying they need to do something with their cash, and they have, <laughs> accusing the company of having this depression-era mindset, and right. Apple says they're, you know, Tim Cook says, hey, we're, we're evaluating our options, um, do you think there is something, to Einhorn's point, in terms of Apple having a cash problem?
4: You know, I find myself agreeing with Einhorn. Uh, really? I do. Uh, I think that it's an excellent discipline when a company has got a lot of cash. And, wow, this company has got a lot of cash. Uh, to say to them, all right, uh, if you know, considering the possibilities is not good enough, unless you've got a very strong idea in mind, uh, we want you to uh, pay that out to the shareholders. Um, and and then let them put their investment money back into the market in a way that they think is appropriate. The problem is that we've seen this happen far, far too many times, whether you're talking about an individual whether you're talking about a company. When they've got a lot of cash and they're under pressure to spend it, uh, they make foolish choices. Can you remember Time Warner AOL?
1: I think I remember that.
4: Yeah, okay. And, you know, this is where I say I always think that there should be a crime of corporate homicide, and they should be guilty of it. <laughs> Uh, and and you know the problem, as you remember, AOL they had so much cash, they, or their their stock price was so high and so inflated, they had to put some assets under it, and it just didn't work out. Now a lot of people are calling for let's let's see what the what the bright people who are giving uh, Apple some alternatives are coming up with. Uh, a lot of people are coming up with ideas like they should go into content, you know. That has that paid off very well for people who have not been in the content business. Everybody wants to go in the content business. Making it work uh, is a different thing. And uh, there are, you know, people have said, well, they should uh, put it into um, supply chain. Well, sure. I, you know, I'd love to see them spend a good bit of that money, making better working environments for their workers in China and in the United States. Uh, I think I would love to see them put that back into their own people. That would be great. But it seems to me that if there is some opportunity, some strategic opportunity out there for them, I would love to see them have the discipline of having to raise money for it rather than just writing a check.
1: Apple obviously has a lot of options in terms of their cash. They can do. As does any company, I suppose, with cash. You can buy back shares, you can increase your dividend, do a special one-time dividend, that sort of thing. From your standpoint, when it comes to shareholder friendliness, what are, as a general rule of thumb, the ways that you prefer to see uh, companies deploy their cash?
4: I don't think it makes a big difference from the shareholder standpoint, whether they do a buyback or a special dividend. Uh, So I think either one is fine.
1: Are there any that, in your book, raise red flags automatically?
4: No. Listen, uh, as I said, I think it's a good discipline uh, to just keep shoveling that money back out to the shareholders. After all, they're the ones, uh, you know, capitalism is named after the shareholders, not the executives.
1: Another story that continues to play out is what's going on with Boeing and the Dreamliner 787 battery problems. Uh, The the CEO and chairman is uh, James McNerney. And he hasn 't um, really suffered any sort of uh, financial penalty, or you know his his compensation hasn 't taken a hit as a result of this now obviously it's it 's under investigation. The planes are grounded. But when you look at Boeing, what do you think is going on, and how do they fix it
4: Well, this is another I told you so for us as you know my company, we rate boards of directors like bonds in terms of the investment and liability risk that they pose to investors, and we have had them on our bad list for a long, long time, in large part, or in significant part, I guess I should say, uh, because the pay the pay structure is just so perverse in terms of its incentives. And let me just tell you that if you're going to pay somebody a boatload of money, or I should say a Dreamliner load of money, <laughs> whether they perform or not, um, then guess what? Uh they're not going to perform because it's harder to perform. So they'll, they'll take the easy way. Unless you make it meaningful, and I'm not just talking about the CEO, of course, but I'm talking about up and down the organization and say, if the plane doesn't work, you don't get the bonus, Um, then we're going to continue to see this kind of behavior. So I completely blame the board. I don't think that they have uh, uh, stepped up to the plate in the way that shareholders expect them to. And uh, I think this is a very serious problem, but it was a predictable problem if you looked at the way the incentive compensation was structured.
1: You're listening to Motley Fool Money, talking with Nell Minow, corporate governance expert and film critic, Uh, a person you and I have spoken about before. Aubrey McClendon, the CEO and co-founder of Chesapeake Energy, I'll be completely honest now. When I heard the news that he was stepping down on April 1st, my, <laughs> my gut reaction was one of sadness. Yeah. I felt like, no, no, we're not going to have Aubrey to, to kick, kick around anymore. We're not going to have him to kick around. You know, the, the secret hedge fund, the antique map collection that he sold back to the company and – Um, Now, on the flip side, and some of my colleagues at The the Motley Fool have said, you know what, if you step back and look at his full legacy, this is a company that he started on his own. It's now worth more than $13 billion. He deserves some credit for that. When you look at the legacy of Aubrey McClendon, what do you think it is?
4: Yeah, he really is uh, one of the CEOs I love to hate because he's just He's just been so catastrophic in the last few years. I think one of the big challenges for boards of directors in dealing with founders is understanding when it's time for them to go. And if he had left uh, 10 years ago, he would have one of the great legacies. Uh, in in, uh, the last couple of decades, but he didn't, and he got up to all kinds of mischief. And the board of directors, adding insult to injury and adding a little more injury, too, to the shareholders, decided, I knew this was going to happen because they're a terrible board of directors, they decided to characterize his departure as a non-for-cause termination rather than a retirement, meaning that he didn't have to kick back his retention bonus. You've got to be kidding me. He wasn't actually retained. And what value are the shareholders getting from that other $11 million? And um, he gets all kinds of other money, too. So, uh, you know, if there was ever a termination for cause, it seems to me there is plenty of cause here, including the secret hedge fund. And yet uh, they just cannot keep, cannot stop shoveling money into that man's pocket.
1: In my next life, I really do want to be a former CEO. I think, <laughs> I think that's got to be a sweet gig. Yeah. Um, before we move on to the Academy Awards, a couple of questions about the business of movies. And specifically, we've, we've seen some deals this week, uh, starting with Netflix, uh, which uh, is partnering with DreamWorks Animation to produce an original uh, animated series for kids. Um, and they've gotten really good reviews. Netflix has on House of Cards, their most recent series. Yeah. Um, when you look at Netflix, do you think that they're going to be able to continue this transition to original content, or is that going to be for them sort of just a small slice of the pie?
4: I think that it's a very smart move on their part. I'm extremely impressed with what they did with House of Cards. I've watched three of the episodes myself, and I expect to watch the whole thing. And uh, not only was it, you know, they, they outbid HBO, uh, for uh for House of cards and um and and so that shows that they are really willing to sit down at the table with the big boys they've got Kevin Spacey and David Fincher, and uh, it is a first class production and then they made the brilliant move of putting all of the episodes up at the same time and understanding because nobody understands this better than Netflix that the real revolution in terms of the way people appreciate content through Netflix is that they will sit down and watch an entire season of 24 over the weekend. Right,
1: binge-watching
4: binge watching, that is what people like and when you give them a gripping story like this one and you know, you, you, you say well we don't have the water cooler moments, believe me you have water cooler moments for people who say my god I spent 13 hours watching House <laughs> of Cards and I can't believe what happened I, I'm dying to talk to somebody about it you have to watch it so we can talk about it I think it was an outstanding move on their part they've been very 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 smart about the way that they've gone about it and uh, that's good because uh, they've been dumb for a little while and it's nice to see them getting smart again
1: well and along those same lines Amazon Uh, just acquired the exclusive streaming rights for Downton Abbey, Mm -hmm. Um, so I'm assuming they have similar metrics, maybe not exactly the same metrics in terms of people's viewer habits, but they probably have something similar. Um, Who are you betting on in the battle of Amazon and Netflix in terms of video streaming?
4: That is a real tough call right now, and I would put Hulu in the mix too. Hulu has produced some Small, not nearly as ambitious, small, but really, really interesting content. Uh, and uh, so I think right now that's anybody's guess.
1: And finally, one of the huge stories of the week is Comcast acquiring the remaining 49% of NBC Universal. And now you've got this cable provider that now has control of all of this content the battle for the living room, which you and I have talked about before, it just seems like it's getting more and more complicated. And yet, with this deal, it seems like if Comcast doesn't have the pole position, they certainly are better suited than most. Would you agree with that?
4: Yeah, I do agree with that. I think it was uh, certainly not a surprise to hear that from Comcast. That was certainly the direction that I think that the original deal was headed in. And uh, so, uh, and plus, those guys always like to do their own thing. You know what I mean? They, they have consistently um, uh, liked to run things without uh, anybody else uh, telling them what to do. So uh, it's not at all a surprise to me. But in the content world, um, I, I, I think uh, we are really in a brave new situation where um, people are watching series on YouTube for free and uh, movie studios, movie theaters are beefing up. They've had a little bit of an uptick by putting in Barca loungers and 3D IMAX and all of that. So right now, everybody, is, it's a great time to be a consumer of content because everybody's fighting for you.
1: You're listening to Motley Fool Money, talking with Nell Minow, corporate governance expert for GMI, but also the film critic known as the movie mom. Let's move on to the Academy Awards, uh, and we do this every year, so you know the drill. Let's pick some of the main categories. You tell me, who should win, and who you think will win. And let's start with Best Actor.
4: Best Actor, I think it's a lock for Daniel Day-Lewis. Uh, if it were me and I were granting the Oscars, I would go with Denzel Washington. I thought that his performance in Flight was the best single performance of the year. He's been my favorite actor for many years, but in this role as a pilot with some substance abuse issues, he exposed a vulnerability and a subtlety that uh, that took him further than he's ever done before. So that was a, a, just an amazing performance.
1: Am I correct that if Daniel Day-Lewis wins Best Actor, that will be his third? Yes. That's going to put him in some pretty rare company, isn't
4: it? Yeah, that's true. But he's up there. He's up there you know, with the Meryl Streep's and Robert De Niro's. He's, he's great, and he did a remarkable job in that film.
1: All right. Best actress, who do you think should win, and who do you think will win?
4: I think that's the least interesting category this year. I mean, it's fun that it, they've got the youngest nominee ever with Kavenza wallace for Beast of the Southern Wild and the oldest ever with Emmanuel Riva. She's a little bit of an insider favorite because she's just been around for such a long time doing such classy work. I think it just might go to 22-year-old Jennifer Lawrence, and that would be okay with me. Uh, She's very young, and I don't think that it's of the category of, say, the Daniel uh, Day-Lewis or Denzel Washington, but she did a beautiful job in Silver Linings Playbook, and she showed a lot of range last year with that and with Hunger Games.
1: What about Best Picture?
4: Best Picture is really up for grabs. If you'd asked me uh, last uh, December, I would have said that I thought it was going to be Zero Dark Thirty, but there seems to be a political backlash there. It's interesting to me that of the nine candidates this year, we have so many that deal with Washington, American history, politics. It seems to be a really forefront of people thinking right now. It could very well go to Lincoln, Uh and uh, it could very well go to Argo. Argo has done extremely well in all the predecessor awards, so that's a tough one to call, and they're all good candidates. I guess if it were me, I'd go with Argo as a sentimental favorite. I thought that was the most entertaining and and sort of spiritually fulfilling movie of the year, but I would love to see it go to Zero Dark Thirty, which I thought was outstanding.
1: Is there, uh, when you look back at 2012, and I know you see tons of movies, but is there sort of a, a hidden gem in your book, sort of an undervalued movie from 2012, that you think more people should see that maybe didn't go to the theater?
4: Well, if you haven't seen Beasts of the Southern Wild, I would totally recommend that. But I and, and Ben Zeitlin, you know, who's still in his 20s, just might get the best director Oscar, which would be bizarre, but interesting. I think that also one of the... Um, nominees for Best Foreign Language Film is called No, as in Yes and No, and uh, that is an absolutely terrific film based on a real-life uh, political uh, battle in Chile, and uh, Gail Garcia Bernal uh, stars in it, and it is one of the smartest, most interesting, thoughtful films. I thought that was outstanding, and then of the documentaries, uh, there are uh, two about Israel that I thought were really good, particularly gay capers.
1: Uh, We will wrap up with a round of buy, sell, or hold. Uh, Her stock is probably trading at an all-time high right now. Buy, sell, or hold, Jennifer Lawrence.
4: Jennifer Lawrence is a long-term buy. Uh, She is going to be the Meryl Streep of her generation. She's absolutely
1: terrific. Wow, that is some high praise. Mm -hmm. Um, She is the new chairman of the SEC. Buy, sell, or hold, Mary Jo White.
4: I'm just gonna do a hold on her. I'm hoping I'm I'm cautiously optimistic. I'm really hoping that she'll be like her predecessor, Joseph Kennedy, the first chairman of the SEC, uh, who of course uh, was famous of whom it was famously said by F D. R it takes a three I think thief to catch a thief.
1: You don't hear much about him these days, but America always loves a comeback story. Buy seller hold the future of Mel Gibson.
4: Oh, He's a sell. I think it's going to be a long, 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 long time before uh, he has a comeback.
1: And finally, this uh, might be not just the most anticipated movie of this year, but really of the next three years because it doesn't come out until 2015. Buy, sell, or hold J.J. Abrams directing the next Star Wars for Disney.
4: If you can buy, if there are any shares out there left, uh, I would say buy them all. Uh, one thing that J.J. J. Abrams has shown us is that he knows how to revitalize a beloved franchise, being true to its past, but taking it into exciting places in the future. So, yes, this is somebody who's going to boldly go where no one has ever gone before.
1: Is there more pressure <laughs> on J.J. J. Abrams for the next Star Wars movie than maybe any other movie ever?
4: Yeah, I think so. But as my husband says, he can't do a worse job than George Lucas did. And I know a lot of people are very upset, you know, that he's bringing the Star Trek into the Star Wars. But the fact is, you know, he's also done Mission Impossible. He really knows his stuff. I think he is a fascinating guy. If you have not watched his TED Talk on the mystery box, I strongly recommend it. And I think that he, uh, he will bring to Star Wars uh, what George Lucas forgot, which is uh, humor and great dialogue
1: she's a corporate governance expert she's a film critic she's our favorite guest on Motley Fool Money Nell Minow thanks so much for being here my pleasure coming up we'll give you an inside look at the stocks on our radar you're listening to Motley Fool Money As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and the Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. I'm Chris Hill, joining me in studio once again James Early, Jason Moser, and Tim Hansen. Uh, before we get to the stocks on our radar, I should mention you can always drop us an email. Radio at Fool.com is the way to get a hold of us. Radio at Fool.com. Drop us a note, ask us a question, weigh in, particularly if you have thoughts on. Uh, how we can stop asteroids from destroying our planet. We, let's face it, Tim, we need all the help we can That get. sounds like a White House petition. I, <laughs> I'm not looking to involve the government. I'm just looking for, you know, just citizen action. Um, you're up first, Tim. Stock on your radar this week? I'm looking at
3: a, a TD Ameritrade, uh, which is a discount broker. Um, they released their January sort of – Account activity metrics and you know assets there continue to rise as you'd expect in a rising stock market. Investors are getting a little more active again. Um, they're doing some investor education and they're sitting on. You know, a lot of cash balances in their accounts. It's like a bank in some ways. Um, so if interest rates do start to go up, uh, they'll earn a lot more in interest income. So I think there's, there's basically two kickers there. Um, one is more activity in the stock market, more bullishness. People trade more. That's good for them. And then interest rates maybe start to go up as the economy improves, and that's good for them too. And so they could be making a lot more money uh, three years from now
0: than they're making today. And the ticker? Uh, AMTD.
1: Jason Moser, what do you got?
0: I'm going to go with National Oil Well, Varco. They just repeated, uh, reported their quarter here. And while it was a good quarter, the stock pulled back a little bit. It looked like, the, it looked like there were some margin concerns there in their rig technology segment of the business, which is their biggest moneymaker. Uh, but with that, they reported a lot of new business, some growth in the backlog, growth in new orders, which I think portend an act of 2013. And to top it off, James's asteroid killer, Berkshire Hathaway, keeps <laughs> adding to their position. So I think, you know, when you when you see Buffett... Buying a stock like that, you, you might want to take his Do you know it's Buffett?
3: I mean, there are a lot of guys now pulling ah, the strings I that's, there. A yeah. that's a good point.
0: That's a good point.
2: James, what do you got this week? Chris, Waste Management is a trash company. It's an income investor recommendation. It has been Also a Berkshire Hathaway. Yeah, delivering a dis- mildly disappointing results over the past several years, let's say. And it just released an- another batch of mildly disappointing results. But at some point, the mildly disappointing results have to stop. Construction volumes are, are, are down, and that, that affects trash volumes more than people might think. But this stock pays a 4% yield while you wait.
1: So mildly disappointing. It's not woeful, though. It is not woeful. That is a very <laughs> well put... Uh, race, Chris. Um, wow, is TD Ameritrade also in the uh, the Berkshire Hathaway holdings as well? Because they're out in Omaha. They are
3: out in Omaha. I do not believe they are a, uh, a Berkshire holding.
1: Uh, you're the outlier this week. I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Matt, I, I, I can
3: go back and look for a
1: Berkshire <laughs> idea. I didn't know we were going to have a thief. <laughs> All right, James Early, Jason Moser, Tim Hanson. Guys, thanks for being here. Thank you, Chris. Chris. Uh, to read more from Tim, you can go to foolfunds.com. That's going to do it for this edition of Motley Fool Money. Our engineer is Steve Broido. Our producer is Matt Greer. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening.